Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Would you join me in the book of Joshua today? Um, Pick anywhere between Joshua 15 and 19, all right? Can you do that? Uh, We're going to be in there, uh, in that portion, Joshua 15 and 19. If you're a guest with us today or you're... Uh, it's been a while since you've been here. We have been in the book of Joshua together, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Now for, uh, well, almost um, about seven months since, since the start of the year in January. And today we're, we're actually in Joshua 15 through 19, a, a large portion of Scripture. We won't read it all, uh, but I'll tell you in a moment what we'll do. I'll just give you a hint, and, and I challenge you uh, to use uh, the Internet, you know that thing, Google, um, and uh, search for sermons for Joshua 15 to 20. Uh, I will tell you, I found a few uh, that I don't know that I, and I, I even some of the, uh, some of my favorite preachers that have uh, preached through Joshua skipped passages like this. And so uh, we are not going to do that though. And we are going to work hard here today with Joshua 15 and 19. I I will tell you that we're going to do a quick overview of these five chapters. You might be thinking, man, I came to church for the first time in months, and this guy's going to preach five chapters? Uh, That's not what we're going to do. Um, But we will cover five chapters and overview them. And then we will look at three very important biblical themes that we find in these five chapters. By way of introduction this morning, and by the way, when you came in, you received a handout. That'll be helpful to you. Uh, If not, you're free to travel through the chapters with me as I pick those apart. But we need to recall that the book of Joshua is broken up into two sections. Chapters 1 through 12 were were focused on the conquest of Canaan. Chapters 13 to 24 deal with the division of the land of Canaan and the final moments of Joshua's life. What we are seeing unfold over these last few weeks and then today is Joshua leading out the settling of the land of Canaan. Every tribe, every tribe is to get an inheritance from the Lord. And then the tribe, once they receive their inherited land, they're to go into that land and they're to drive out the inhabitants in obedience to God. And that was to happen. They're driving out the inhabitants was to happen by the Lord's presence and by the Lord's power. Caleb referenced that in chapter 14 when he said, I'll do this by the Lord's help. Now often misunderstood, and I want to speak to this and maybe I'll confuse you even more, is that we often think of the 12 tribes of Israel, but often if we count them up, we find there's 13 names given which can tend to be a source of confusion for us. Let me give you the 12 tribes that received an inheritance. Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Ephraim, and Manasseh. You might be sitting there wondering, who's missing? 
which son of Jacob is missing. And that is the son Levi. The original tribe, if I can say it, of Levi was Jacob's son. And that's because, as we're going to hear in coming weeks, Levi and the Levites do not receive an inheritance of land. They do receive some cities to dwell, but they are dispersed amongst all the tribes in Canaan. And Deuteronomy chapter 18 tells us that they were not to receive a land allotment, but that the Lord himself was their inheritance. Deuteronomy 18.1 said, the priests, the, the priests, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he hath said unto them. And so if we subtract Levi from the original 12, then how do we ever get to the 12? Well, in all of this, I'll come to that in a moment, we need to remember that this Levitical inheritance is not the inheritance of land, that they, the Levites, were getting the Lord himself, which means they were tasked, these, this tribe of the operation and oversight of the temple and all of the corporate worship, because God was the unique inheritance of the Levites. He was the focus of their service. He was the source of their sustenance, and he was the significance of their calling. They had a unique inheritance. Although it did include cities and it did include daily food, it also included the constant ministerial vocation. We'll talk about that more in coming days. But here in the introduction this morning, what I want to do is I want to I show you in every chapter, 15 through 19, who gets what inheritance. And maybe, in some cases, give you a brief rundown of the chapter. We'll start today with chapter 15. And chapter 15 is the description of the people of Judah, the tribe of Judah. Notice in Joshua 15 and verse 1. Please with me. This then was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah by their families, even the border, to the border of Edom, the wilderness of Zin. Southward was the uttermost part of the south coast. Now bear with me for a few moments. Maybe he's going to feel like we're in a class uh, for the next little bit, but, but I want to give you a little bit of an understanding of what happens. Look, look with me at the screen. We've got map. Uh, it's a map-heavy day, all right? Uh, here we see the map. This is the map of the 12 tribes. Can you kill the stage lights for a moment? Just keep me the... Uh, there we go. Uh, here's the tribe of Judah. Maybe you can see that better. This is their allotted land. Everything in that region, it's a large portion of, uh, of land. And you might recall from last week that uh, this... Uh, tribe of Judah was from where Caleb came, which Caleb belonged. The description of their land, the tribe of Judah, is the most extensive here in these chapters. And the description for the tribe of Benjamin will be similar. But here you get a picture of the amount of land given to Judah. But in the middle of this chapter, we get another glimpse into this man Caleb that we saw last week. We won't take a lot of time here, but in chapter 15, we find Caleb, who's this old man, 85 years old. He's, he's trying to motivate somebody, a man of the tribe of Judah, to win a battle. And he, in doing so, he says, whichever one of you smites and conquers and takes this city, I'll give you my daughter. It's really the, this kind of a fairy tale-ish moment of like, hey, whoever can defeat the giant, 
gets my daughter. And so in chapter 15, verse 16, we, we see that. It says that Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjath suffer and taketh it to him. To him will I give Akshaph, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. And he gave him Akshaph, his daughter, to wife. Now, I'll let you do that whole family connection there, but it looks like they were cousins who ended up getting married. We're not going to talk about that very much right now, all right? But here's, boy, those lights are bright. But here we get this tribe of Judah, and the majority of the rest of the chapter, all chapter 15 does from here on down, gives us a breakdown of the cities within the inheritance of Judah. But then the chapter concludes, chapter 15 concludes with a startling verse, and I don't want you to lose note of this. Verse 63 says, As for the Jebusites, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day, unto the day of the writing. You may, you may remember that the king of Jerusalem had collected a group of city-states back in Joshua 10 to go up against the Gibeonites and the Israelites end up joining in. Well, now, now in chapter 15, we're told that the people of Judah fail at what God had told them to do to drive out the inhabitants. And it was not, it was not because they couldn't do it, but it's that they failed because of unbelief, according to Hebrews chapter 4. That was the reason. The reason verse 63 exists is because of unbelief. We'll come to that more in a moment. Chapter 16 tells us of the tribe, if you will, of Joseph. Now, Joseph had two boys. One was Ephraim and one was Manasseh. At the death of Joseph's father, Jacob, there in Goshen, outside of Egypt, when, jo Jacob, when Joseph was ruler there and his brothers and father ended up moving to the region, Joseph's final moments, his dad Jacob gives an inheritance to his two boys. It was to be the greatest of inheritance out of all the, 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 the tribes of Israel. It was to be the greatest land inheritance. The first one here that we get in 16 is Ephraim. This is the son not of Jacob but of Joseph. Verse 16 of Joshua, verse 1 of chapter 16 says, And the lot of the children of Joseph fell from Jordan by Jericho, and the water of Jericho on the east in the wilderness that goeth up from Jericho throughout Mount Bethel, and goeth out from Bethel to Luz, and passeth along unto the borders of Archi to Adaroth, and goeth down westward to the coast of, of Japhleti, unto the coast of Beth Horon, the, the nether, and a geezer, and to the mount, to the goings out therefore are at the sea. So the children of Israel of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. I want to show you the map again here. We'll kill the stage light for just a moment. You can see the, the, there is in the middle of the land, we'll see Ephraim here, chapter 16, shows the inheritance of Ephraim. The land that's given to the two sons of Joseph is large. You need to, you need to make note of that. This is God's faithfulness to his promise. These are the two sons of Joseph. There's West Manasseh, East Manasseh, and there's Ephraim. Those two boys have a significant portion, which is what was promised to them. And this shows that favor was given to Joseph for all that he did for his brothers, for all that Joseph did. Remember, you meant it unto me as evil, but God meant it for good, and God blesses Joseph in all that, and his boys receive of that blessing. That moves us to chapter 17, and there we see Manasseh. We'll keep that right on the screen there. Look at that map again with me. Here's West Manasseh, which we explained, which is on the Transjordan, on the other side of the Jordan. There's, or there's East Manasseh, there's West Manasseh, and there again you see Ephraim, which we saw in chapter 16. Verse 1 of chapter 17 says, There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. 
he was the firstborn of Joseph. This is an interesting point, actually. Manasseh was the firstborn. But God chose to give the younger of the two, Ephraim, God chose to give him the inheritance first. This is Jacob who gives to Ephraim, the younger of the two, the inheritance first. It is Jacob who is the younger who receives of the inheritance from Isaac. And Jacob brings that also and is assigned us. By the way, notice that for me, will you? In Genesis 48, would you look at that? Words are on the screen. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel, who is Jacob, his right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, No, no, not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God Make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. What's the point of that? The point of that is, actually very practically for you and I, that Jacob's actions, Israel's actions in that moment, remind us that God does not operate on our human paradigm. He's not bound to what we structure. He's not bound to our systems. He's not bound to the traditions we form. God operates on a totally different level. Romans 9.15 says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It is good for all of us today to remember that God operates as he does. In his infinite knowledge, wisdom, and in his mercy. He says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Who are you to stand in my, in my place and to tell me who and what I can bless? Joshua 17 continues, where we find these words, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came, yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxing strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. Again, we see the disobedience. Look at verse 16 of that same chapter. And the children of Joseph said, this is both Ephraim and Manasseh, the hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Beth Shean and their, and, and their towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people. And has great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is wood. And thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Yet what happens? They don't do as God commanded. The Israelites in disobedience and unbelief continue to fail at driving out the inhabitants. The second time I say today, keep note of this. That brings us to chapter 18. In chapter 18, we're introduced to a transition moment 
along with we see another tribe get their allotment. Notice in chapter 18 and verse 1. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God your fathers have given you? Jumping down to verse 10. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land unto the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now, here we learn two important aspects of the Canaan divisions and their inheritance. Number one, Shiloh is the new location for the tabernacle of congregation. Shiloh is the new location. Why is that? I want you to notice. We'll put the map back up there for a moment. Zoomed in a little bit. Here is Shiloh, right? I lose my thing. Here we go. Here is Shiloh. It is, I lost it there. It is right up, uh, where we go here? It's right up in this area. Where are we at? I'm lost here because we, we zoomed in. Forgive me. It's right up in this area right here. There it is, Shiloh. And there's Shiloh. It's literally in the middle of the land of Canaan. This is where they take the tabernacle that they had had set up in, in, in outside of, outside of uh, Gilgal. And they now move it to Shiloh. They're in the middle of the land of Canaan. This was, in this moment here, chapter 18, it's a massive fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. Because you need to remember that God's promise in Canaan was not just about land. It was about the children of Israel getting God, getting His promise, getting His presence, getting His power and His, his pleasure. Leviticus 26 spoke to this. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will set my tabernacle among you. Verse 12, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen, and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. He said, when you go into Canaan, I'm going to put my tabernacle there, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. This was a fulfillment of God's promise when when, when the tabernacle is set up in the middle of Canaan in Shiloh. What a blessed moment. Here it is that God's presence will be among them. This, this is their greatest gift. Their greatest gift is not land, it's God. Their greatest gift is not something they could touch, see, or hold. Their greatest gift was getting God. But Joshua says to them in in here in chapter 18, he's speaking to the seven tribes. He says, how long are ye slack to go possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers have given you? In, in many words, he's saying, how long are you going to put off going in to take possession of the land? How long? It's a rebuke from Joshua. Because these seven tribes are walking and living in unbelief, in doubt, in apathy, and in laziness. And chapter 18 shows us Joshua before God. And here he is saying to them, what are you guys waiting for? And so they, Joshua cast lots there before the Lord, which is a means for determining God's will in those days. And so the remaining seven are going to get their inheritance. Chapter 18, though, we see the inheritance of Benjamin. We'll throw that back up on the screen for you. Here is where Benjamin is. It's actually one of the smaller areas right here. Um, you, you, you get a picture of that. It's, it's not very large, but it's an important piece of land there. Chapter 19 takes us forward. And there in chapter 19, we get the last six. 
Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. I want you to see the map there. I don't want to put it up there. I'm not going to point them all out to you. But this is, this is the completed portion of all of this. I want you to look with me at Joshua 19. Would you look at verse 49? We'll conclude it here. Our overview will conclude here. Can I get the lights back on? Thank you. When they had made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun among them. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked, even Timnasserah, in Mount Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt therein. These are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They made an end of dividing the country. And chapter 19 concludes with not, not just a tribe getting land, but now Joshua gets land. It all started with with Caleb getting his land that God promised. Here's two spies who said to the people of Israel, we can go in, God is faithful, we can take the land. God gives them a specific inheritance. I want you to, you might be wondering, what in the world do we do with those five chapters? I, sometimes when I preach in, in, in our church, I, I try to give you a grid by which you can see things throughout all of Scripture. So that's what I want to do today by way of, of conclusion. I want to give you a practical, a historical, redemptive, we call it the story of redemption, and I want to give you a theological point that needs to be made from these five chapters. Number one, the practical. The practical is the importance of Shiloh. The importance of Shiloh. Now listen very carefully. The worship of God was at the center of the Israelite life. And enjoying God's presence was their greatest pleasure and their peace. This is important because God is constantly calling his people to worship him. To reverence him. God is always calling his people to obey him. This is the center it is the center and the pinnacle of their lives. And all of this will enable them to enjoy God. It is the worship of God that enables them to enjoy God. So Shiloh, where the tabernacle is, is to be the center of their lives. It's the center of Canaan, and it's to be the center of the Israelite life. Now, you might need to make note, and it mattered in those days, what names were given. The word Shiloh, the name Shiloh means to be at ease. To be at ease. This is the place. This is the place where the people of God are to be at ease. There in Shiloh, in the presence of God, in the worship of God, they were to find their hearts at ease. You might say they were to find their hearts at peace. Shiloh is the same Hebrew root word as the word for peace, shalom. It is there that the children of Israel in Shiloh are to be at shalom before God. Recall with me the old Westminster Catechism and its first question which says, What is the chief end of man? Which the answer then is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
That is what Shiloh was. Shiloh was the center of Israelite life where they were to glorify God and they were meant to enjoy Him forever. This was evidenced as the place there for Shiloh as a place of worship. And it remained the place of worship for Israel until the coldness of their hearts led God to allow the Philistines to take the Ark of the Covenant from that place and from that moment as the Ark of the Covenant is taken, God forsakes Shiloh and his presence is no longer there. Shiloh is an important place in Scripture, which gives us a key point today that I want to give you. Worship is always central in our life. The issue is who or what is at the center of our worship. The question is never or is worship at the center of your life? Every one of us has worship at the center of our life. The question is, who is at the center of our worship? That's the question. Whoever or whatever is at the center of our worship will determine what is our central aspect of worship. But you need to understand something. Please don't ever try to tell me if the Bible is boring or there's never more to get out of it. Because here's what you need to know about Shiloh. Shiloh isn't just a place. Shiloh's a person. Shiloh is a person. It is Jacob who at the end of his life in speaking to Judah says this in Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Jacob prophesied, he foretold of a day when not a place would come, but a person would come. The one who is to bring us to ease. The one who is to give us shalom. The one who is to put our weary hearts to rest. The shalom, the Shiloh was coming. It is the Shiloh, Jesus Christ who enables us to worship God and to enjoy His presence. My friends, today I stand before you and I tell you that Shiloh the person has come and he has brought his people to the place of the true Shiloh of worship. Listen, if the Shiloh Jesus doesn't come, then you and I can never worship God at the center of our lives. But that's the good news of the Christian gospel is that Jesus, Jesus, comes and he says, I'm going to take you to the true place of Shiloh, the true place of the worship of God's people. It is only because of Christ that God can be at the center of your life, my friends. It is only because of Christ that you can obey Christ's words to seek first the kingdom. And so we see this practical point that worship is at the center of our lives. It will always be at the center of your life. The question is going to be, who or what is the center of your worship? Who or what? Jesus, the true Shiloh, has come to free you from all the other forms of false worship. Secondly, I want you to see the historical redemptive application. And that's the tension in the story. The tension in the story. Running through the middle of the redemptive story, the story of redemption is a people who fail to take hold of what God is truly giving. And this is all because of sin and unbelief. Running through the, the, the redemptive story, the redemptive story which starts with God 
is God the creator. It is man who is created by God. But man in his rebellion turns from God to sin and unbelief. And although the redemptive story doesn't stop there, it is that part that it runs throughout the story. It's not stopping God. It's not hurting God's, uh, God's purposes. But it is a thread throughout the story. And that is a people who walk in sin and unbelief. Listen very carefully. It was sin and unbelief that kept Israel from taking hold of the land. Let me just tell you that the implications of the children of Israel not driving out the inhabitants are seen throughout the rest of the Old Testament. The implications are serious. Sin and unbelief in the life of the Christian keeps us from taking hold of what is truly ours. Listen, please don't miss this. You may be somebody today who claims to be a Christian. You believe you're saved. But here's what you need to grasp today. That as you have all that there is of Christ, you have all that there is of Christ, sin and unbelief keeps us from enjoying Him and what He gives us. This is a key statement that if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write down. Jesus hasn't withheld Himself from us. We withhold ourselves from accessing Him. Jesus hasn't withheld himself from us. He hasn't given you a part of him. No, Jesus has given us all. The the problem is, by sin and unbelief, we withhold ourselves from accessing all of Christ. In Joshua 18.3, Joshua asks the question, how long will we be slack in taking our spiritual inheritance? How long? We have to honestly ask ourselves today. This is a challenging part for us. How long... Will we keep waiting to enjoy the inheritance that we've been given in Christ? When will we choose to to participate with the Spirit and take hold of all that we have in Christ? My friends, Christians, when will we take all that there is to offer of the gospel? There's two problems for why we don't take hold of everything that we have in Jesus. The, The first one is lethargy, two L's, lethargy. We're lethargic. We simply won't put in the effort. We simply won't discipline our schedules. We won't carve out intentional time. We won't make any form of commitment to true community amongst other Christians. And the lethargy will always hold us back from getting and enjoying more of Christ. Not just lethargy, lethargy though, though, the second L is legalism. Legalism is actually an enemy to you enjoying Jesus, to you enjoying more of Jesus, because legalism says, I've got to find favor so that I can get more of Jesus. I've got to do this so that I can get more from Christ. I've got to cross off this list or check this box so that God will give me more of Christ. Legalism says, I need to do more to get more, but that's an enemy to enjoying Jesus. Because, my friend, you didn't do anything to get Jesus, and you can't do anything to get more of Jesus. So both lethargy and legalism are an enemy to us enjoying all that we have in Christ. I was thinking about that this week. And if you know me, you know that one of the things that I have to, I have to battle as the center of my worship is coffee. <laughs> is there anybody else in here that needs to slay that idol? I love coffee. 
Do you know when you got saved, when you got saved, you got all of Jesus. That's a lot of coffee. That's a lot of goodness right there. It's a lot of kindness and grace and mercy, peace. That's, you got all of Christ. You didn't get some. You got all. Remember, it's sin and unbelief that keeps us from opening it up and enjoying. Here's the problem that all of us battle, myself included. We're satisfied living with that. That won't get, that'll get me about two days, maybe. But this is, this is insufficient. And we're often content with enjoying this much of Jesus when this much has been given us. The question becomes, are we, are we being lethargic and, and okay with this when this is available? It's available to us. Jesus isn't holding back going, if you do this, I'll give you more. You, when you received him, you received all that you need for life and godliness, Peter said. All. But yet, here we are right here. Gladly living right here. So the key point for that is this. As God has promised us an inheritance in Christ, it is our sin and unbelief that keep us from the full enjoyment of peace and rest. It is our sin and unbelief. Number three, lastly, there's a theological one. The theological is this, the inheritance now and in the future. There is inheritance given to God's people now that is the enjoyment of God's presence by the Spirit. The future reality of that inheritance will be had in the new heavens and new earth when Christ rules and reigns. Listen very carefully here, and we're, we're just about done. Part of living in the already but not yet is having all of Jesus, but knowing in our minds that there's still more to come. Because in the new heavens, in the new earth, we will no longer be held back by our flesh and our sin. In the new heavens and new earth, there will be no unbelief. There will be no sin that holds us back. And so the inheritance we enjoy now is having all of Christ but recognizing that in our fallenness, we, ca- we still cannot grasp all this. But there's a day coming when we will enjoy Him fully. There's a day coming when we will get all of the land. There will be no enemies. There will be nothing to destroy. There will be no inhabitants to drive out. And that day, friends, I believe is soon coming. Because in that land and in that day, Peter said in first, 2 Peter 3, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. It is in that place of the new heavens and the new earth where only righteousness dwells. Therefore, we will have a conscious understanding of all the inheritance we've been given in Christ. We'll no longer be stuck with this. We will get all of this to enjoy Jesus forever. And so part of living in the already but not yet is knowing It's knowing that right now we just get a little, but there's a lot coming. And so you know what what the posture of a Christian has to be? This seems counterintuitive, and it seems contradictory even. We live satisfied in Christ, not not, not that we've experienced all of Christ, 
but satisfied that we have Christ with anticipation for the day when we will see him as he is, John said. And we will be like him, John wrote in 1 John, in knowing him, experience him as he is. So here's the key point. We're meant to live with deep satisfaction in Jesus while knowing that greater satisfaction is coming. This is the already but not yet. Deep satisfaction while knowing that greater satisfaction is coming. Now let me conclude very quickly here. You know what is different from the Old Testament to the New? Let me explain something to you. And in this passage, this stands out. The difference between the Old Testament, Joshua, and the New Testament, and the greater Joshua. Joshua leads the people of God, Israel, into a land that they would lose. It's a land that because of their sin was corrupted, defiled, and it faded away. I've been waiting for two weeks to tell you this. Jesus leads the people of God, the church, into a heavenly inheritance that they can never lose because His righteousness and faithfulness has guaranteed it. Joshua here led the people of God into a land that they lost, but Jesus comes and He leads us to an inheritance that you can't lose because you couldn't gain it. You can't lose it because you did nothing to earn it. That's the difference in Joshua and Jesus. And so you can live today longing for an inheritance of the world, but it will fade and it will go and it will corrupt just like Canaan. But Jesus gives us something better. 1 Peter 1, I read it to you last week, an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. And my friends, it is reserved in heaven for you. Can't lose it or improve it because you didn't get it because of anything you could do, but because of the righteous deeds of Jesus. And so all of this summarizes the story of the Bible. This is the story of Scripture. I wish somebody would have taught me this 30 years ago. This is the story of Scripture. God has made us. God made us. And he made us to worship. Remember Shiloh? And we worship who or what we enjoy. Whatever you enjoy becomes an aspect of worship. God is our greatest source of joy. And therefore, therefore, should be the one we worship, but instead, we worship ourselves. Because we worship ourselves, we sin. And we're selfish. And we're servants to that sin and selfishness. And we seek satisfaction, knowing all the while that there has to be more. And the truth is, there is more. There is more than the worship of me. What is more, the great satisfier has come. Shiloh has come. And in Shiloh, Jesus Christ, you can find all of the satisfaction that you need. You know what happens when you get Jesus? You get the true fulfillment of Shiloh. He puts you at ease. He gives you rest. He gives you the peace that your heart so longs for. I want to ask you today, do you know Christ as your Savior? Is Jesus Christ your Redeemer? 
You can have that today. You can have that salvation. You can get all of Christ today. You can get all of him. Because the, God, the, the, the Father, God, has promised the inheritance to his Son. You know what that inheritance is? That inheritance is that all who come to faith in Christ become joint heirs of the inheritance that the Father has given to the Son. And when you come to Christ in faith, Romans chapter 8 says that we become joint heirs, that Jesus invites us in his kindness into his inheritance. And all that Christ has been given from the Father, we get with Jesus. That's good news, man. What, what keeps us from enjoying that inheritance? What keeps us from often receiving that salvation? It is simply unbelief. Unbelief. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ to be the salvation that you need, you are losing, hear me, what God has made you for. You're losing what God has made you for. And the good news of the gospel is that you can be saved. You can receive the inheritance. You might be here today and you might be a Christian and you're going, Dustin, if I'm honest, that's where I am right there. That's me. So often I just kind of go through the day and I just access about that much of Jesus. And by God's grace this week, I want to dig in a little more. I want to dig a little. Anybody need a little more coffee in their life? I need a lot more Jesus in my life. The truth is I have him. I just don't access him like I should. I want to encourage you today in faith access more of Christ. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.